Hi everyone, my name is Tanya Valentin and welcome to the When She Wakes, She Will Move Mountains podcast, based on the book by the same name, where I guide you through five steps to reconnecting with your wild, authentic inner queen. If you are looking to be inspired by honest, wholehearted conversations about womanhood, motherhood, growing older, spiritual awakenings, feminine leadership, and everything in between, then you are in the right place. To find out more about my book or to get transcriptions of the episodes, please go to my website www.tanyavalentinauthor.com. Welcome Lisa Black to the When She Wakes, She Will Move Mountains podcast. Lisa is a, an author, a mum, a wife, and an advocate for the rise of feminine wisdom. Welcome to the podcast, Lisa. Thank you for having me, Tanya. And feminine wisdom for me is the deficit in the world today. I know that our feminine intuition allows so much knowledge and wisdom that defies the rational mind to move up through our bellies and come up through our hearts and eventually out through our mouths. And there was such a lack of wisdom in my younger years that I gravitated towards women who had conquered their own mountains and I sat at their feet and I allowed myself to be fed, but those occurrences were few and far between. So I realized that I was seeking for that which I was and realized that I needed to start sharing my wisdom in the world but in that process understood how deeply challenging that is for women to raise their voices so I'm an intensely passionate advocate for that because I believe it will balance the current world that we're living in. Oh that is so beautiful and you've written four books Wow, I'm just so in awe. I'm just um, self-publishing my first one um, in a couple of months. And um, just have you always known that you were a writer? Well, huge congratulations for almost being at that final stage of self-publishing your own book. It's a monumental feat. And I was definitely a storyteller as a child. I have memories of being in the third grade and having... um, a book in my hands where I would write a story, but the most important part of the process for me was having my friends in class sit around me and I had actually impregnated the story with messages that I intuitively knew my friends needed to hear. Now, I didn't rationally comprehend that at the time, but I would watch their faces in my peripheral vision as I read the words, I would watch them shift. And I was hooked from that moment. The power that story is to touch hearts and unlock shifts and transformation, uh, I'm addicted. Oh, amazing, amazing. Um, You know, the the power that we, and the messages that we actually um, have when we're younger, that we don't actually realize that we have is just, just so, so powerful. And, um, you know, you, like, you speak about, you know, knowing those, having those gifts, but not really knowing what they were. What, what has your sort of awakening journey been to, to, you know, 
not realizing your gifts and being able to use them in such a powerful way to help other women? Yeah, I don't think they're ever um, comfortable journeys. <laughs> I really like um, to preface this with the quote from Rumi that our wounds are where the light gets in. Mm-hmm. So um, being um, incredibly neglected and malnourished spiritually and emotionally as a child actually um, formed very chronic eating disorder issues for me where I chronically overfed myself and then I went through a stage of underfeeding myself and starving myself mm-hmm. and then I developed a compulsive binge eating disorder um, which was seven years to heal that for myself and when I began to comprehend that what I was hungry for wasn't food, a doorway opened up and I learned how to listen to the feelings in my belly instead of ignoring, denying and rejecting them with food, which was my survival strategy. I couldn't hear my own language and food was a way to reject that voice that helped me to feel like I could fit in. So I had to trade my eating disorder for an acceptance of my gifts, um, which you're trading two pains. I didn't want to accept my spiritual gifts because you're afraid you're going to be an outcast and a freak and a weirdo. And um, But my eating disorder was ruining my life. I had so little peace. And with the onset of motherhood and my own child to feed and nurture, I had to sort myself out quick, right? Mm, absolutely. Yeah, you know how that that when we we need to look after others, we need to look after our children. That that really does create such a shift for us, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. And um, your first book was was, was heart medicine, was was it? Or my first book is heart healing, and heart it's healing. Yes. Yeah my my fourth book is now heart medicine. And I was in the process of really transferring that knowledge I had gained to help other people self-heal. So help them learn how to interpret their own language of emotion, help them to recognize how patterns of pain are a request for truth to be returned to a scene that we were actually completely confused uh, about our identity in. So I wanted other people to not so much see me as a healer. I wanted them to understand that we are all our own healers, mm-hmm. but that there are there is a map available so that people can trust that process because it can be incredibly destabilizing. Of course we know. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And I think, you know, there would be so many women listening to this podcast episode and just, you know, just feeling that, you know, that that, that process of healing can be incredibly isolating and scary because even though our previous ways of coping were not healthy for us, they were familiar and they felt safe. And so, you know, I suppose intuitively we or instinctively we, we cling to those rather than allowing ourselves to embrace the healing. And so I wanted to share my stories of being on the other side of acclimatizing myself to the newness outside of the familiar mm. because all I knew was damaging and toxic and um, really crippling for who I am naturally. So I'm so fortunate that my circumstances, I couldn't 
continue. And I, that's my blessing because I, I was forced to find a new way. But that process of acclimatizing ourselves out of trauma to peace, love, reciprocity, being heard and being able to hear others, that is something that it can be intensely frightening. And so I find my words are vehicles that I can place meaning in that I can carry to the heart. And when the heart gets this sense of safety that is available in the new, I find people are more willing to take those tentative initial steps on their transformational path. Yeah, that's yeah, just, you're just totally speaking to my heart here, Lisa. Ah. <laughs> mm-hmm. ah, and, um, you know, when that's been quite a journey hasn't it from that first book to your fourth book right now which mm-hmm. is um sorry I, I did miss, miss um quote it earlier which is heart medicine 13 principles to feminine business mm-hmm. so how has that journey been for you <laughs> you know each book is three to five hundred hours and I don't say that lightly because the sacrifice involved in missing out on parties, time with our children, requiring, you know, my husband to pick up house tasks while I'm writing, it can feel a very self-indulgent process. And it, it is. And I think that's the only reason why I'm a stable, mostly clear human, is that I was able to extract from myself internally um, and organize concepts in a way that I can function in the world. And what I hear repeatedly from my readers is that the amount of work I put into it to refine it to simplicity and ease that carries directly to the heart means that they can act with confidence on the principles that I bring forward. So the initial reason was to actually understand how to exist in this world being who I am, because remember, I didn't have that in my family and my upbringing. But I think the payoff is that other people can find sacred pieces that allow them to establish and thrive by being who they are, which is right what I wanted for myself, but what I desperately want for everyone else as well. Yeah. And so your your the title of your book, latest book, is Heart Medicine. And so can you just explain or tell us a little bit about what heart medicine is? Yeah. You know, 13 years of witnessing trauma has been a feast for my soul because the uniqueness of everyone's situation became overshadowed by my capacity to see the commonality. And I think that commonality is that where we are broken open is actually what we're here to pay forward and share with one another. So once again, quoting Rumi, that Mm -hmm. our wounds are where the light gets in, but then he speaks about, you know, we will bloom from the wounds where we once bled. So for me being deeply spiritually and emotionally malnourished meant that I was forced to learn how to feed myself emotionally and become sovereign in my own advocacy for my boundaries and my genuine needs as a human being, which we don't learn to do. No. (laughs) And so for me, There is a sacred retrieval available that in our suffering, there was actually wisdom intended for us. 
And this kind of flips the whole game because many of us feel like we've been abandoned or cast out from the heavens and placed on a tiny star and put through a rigorous series of tasks that systematically break down and deeply damage the core of who we are and what we are here to take a stand for on the earth. So for me, what I realized is that there was love impregnated in that suffering and that once I realized my greatest suffering was to be denied nurture and affection, well, then my mastery is being able to consume and prolificate my own nurture and love for myself. So that mastery is forged from decades of having that denied by my own mother no fault of her own once again not having the substance of that for herself meant that we can't give what we haven't received Mm. this was a long line in my maternal family history and thus there's a new point where we can recognize that the suffering was there to imbue a medicine that would not only transform our lives, but transform the lives of our kindred. So when I speak, my kindred hear themselves and through my voice, they become attuned to their intuition. So powerful. And, you know, I know that, you know, I've, I've done a, did a reading with you um, where, where you helped me to, to find out what my heart medicine is. And um, you did that so beautifully. And part of the heart medicine that you said that, you know, was mine was to make space to hear other women and hear other women's stories because I felt like I wasn't heard when, when I was a child. So for our listeners, um, what would be a starting point for them to start uncovering what their heart medicine would be? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, our, our pain is our purpose. So our medicine is always intrinsically connected to our greatest wounds. And what happens in such tender territory is that we become quick, we'll either speed over it or we will ignore it or we'll reject it. It didn't happen. I can't look at it or, oh yeah, that happened. That was just a thing. It's not a thing anymore. And the moment we slow down and we start really paying attention to that sacred territory, it's just load. It's a treasure trove. And this is why I believe our human evolution is held back because the skill sets of emotional excavation is not taught or known. And that was my own self-survival to equip myself with the language and the know-how to do my own sacred excavating because I could clearly see there were no humans around me that knew how to do their work. The challenge now is for me creating a culture and a community around this sacred excavating that we can do together because doing it in isolation is potentially more horrific than the original trauma Mm. this territory needs to be traversed with people who we trust who are committed to truth and who are committed to their higher potential and extracting the sacred medicine that was forged in those moments and being willing to pay it forward so we can all start acquiring more of the truth 
that we can use to spiral upwards in our collective evolution. So, so important. And um, I know that you um, part, that your work currently is with working with um, female business um, business owners um, and female female leaders. And can you tell me just a little bit about that, about what feminine leadership is versus male um, male business or male leadership? Yes, I love that question. Um, so much. I, I have worked with men and women in my 13 year career and women are just so fast. <laughs> we're, we're really quick. We are innately more connected to our intuitive side, whether you call that, you know, your right brain or whether you call that your soul or your spirit or your intuition or your internal guidance or whatever your personal name is for that. We are more connected to it and thus we can take intuitive steps without logical, rational reason. And that's why I serve feminine leaders because they're informed by the knowing nature of their beingness. So if we think about, say, yin and yang, the feminine and masculine energies, we think about yin as being receptive and being and um, something that's very introspective. Whereas masculine energy or yang energy is something that is about action. It's about linear progress. It's about end outcomes and taking aligned action. The challenge is, is that a lot of the men in the world are not connected to their feminine energy. So they're taking a lot of action that's devoid of any meaning or substance. Mm. Whereas women have this attunement to the knowing of what needs to happen they just struggle with the bravery to execute. So having me on the scene as an advocate for them with, you know, a couple of decades now of intuitively taking action, my presence can really create a lot of safety for women to boldly move forward. And once they start taking a couple of steps, life confirms how good and right and true that is. Prosperity is an outcome. Transformation is an outcome but deep personal connection and then community connection is an outcome. So for me, women hold the key to balancing all of the divides and all the deficits that are raining down in our world presently. Yeah. And so in terms of, of your community, what are the things that, that you do offer to, um, to feminine leaders? So, you know, I, I really feel fortunate that we're doing this interview after you've had a chariot call with me because I think that first step is um, has been a part of my business for nine years and I, I never tire of it. I never tire of using my capacity to truly see, to witness someone emotionally and help them to see themselves. The, the action we're capable of when we're seen is just worlds apart from when we are not known for the truth of who we are. So the chariot call is sacred witnessing that helps people understand and know how to act on their medicine. The next offer I have is actually around conceptual development. So because I believe business is a vehicle for creating transformation within ourselves and our communities, we actually want a structure that's inherently nurturing, that's a sanctuary for our truth. Whereas there's a lot of women that are still operating under masculine ideals that stifle and and contaminate the purity and the potency of what they're really here to bring so 
that conceptual development is called feminine business mapping, where I'm actually going to have someone go through the chariot call, and then we're going to erect a structure that's organic, that supports her fullest expression. Mm -hmm. And from there, I am really committed to workshops where we can gather and actually witness one another and support each other to find the sacred stance that is ours and ours alone. Masculine business comes from a competitive paradigm where we try to prove that we're better than others. A feminine business paradigm that I teach and preach and advocate for is that no one can compete. All of us are irreplicable. And the time that we've all invested in acquiring our medicine can be instantly transferred to one another's hearts and that we can receive everything that we need through our community to take our pivotal stance with more power, conviction, and potency. So that's everything that I deeply believe in creating and um, I think the difficulty is inviting others out of their stories of trauma into their power requires me to do the same thing. And there are very few humans that operate outside of the construct of their trauma-based story. Mm -hmm. And I'm in deep awareness that we need one another to emerge from those places, to rise triumphant. There is no other way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I, I so I so hear that. And, you know, I just remember how powerful it was um, when, uh, you know, when I'd had that chariot call with you and we'd, we'd sort of seen it, known each other in passing. But mm -hmm. after that, that call, I just thought, whoa, how does she know all the stuff about me? Um, you know, and just to be witnessed in that way was just amazing. And um, also going to your, um, your live community event, um, just felt, you know, just that the energy in the room of all the women in the room. So I can totally hear what you say, you know, about us all, all rising together just being you know one of the pivotal things um, and I think I think also in terms of feminine leadership we that is something that's different to male leadership where you know male leadership we kind of feel like we have to as you say compete where we we're not allowed to put down or show any vulnerability or um, you know put down our walls whereas when I think when women come together and they and they share, we all we all rise together and we all heal together at the same time too. So yeah, incredibly powerful. Um, I will pop um, just for the readers, um, for the listeners. Sorry, I will pop um, the links to all Lisa's offerings, her website, and her books in the show notes. So if you are um, as fascinated as I am about Lisa's work, um, please go and go and look at those. And um, just just before we finish off, Lisa, and just you know, this has just been an amazing half hour. Um, if you could go back and speak to that younger version of yourself, what advice would you give her? Yeah, what I can feel in my heart is to really trust that our moments of deepest grief and pain are 
actually some of the most potent moments of divine love that we're yet to comprehend. And to hold that hope that as dismaying and distressing as they are at those points, and I mean, I've been broken open and broken down um, in so many points, but eventually I can always see how incredibly loved and treasured I am. And I know that my little girl knows that now because I tell her all the time. I tell myself at all of my stages that you are incredibly loved, not just by me here now, but by everyone who can truly see us in the heavens and many earth angels who surround us now. We are more loved than our mind can comprehend. And I know that that love allows us to keep traversing the path. Beautiful, beautiful. Yeah, if only, if only, you know, our, our younger selves could, you know, could have felt that, that love in, in that moment. Um, but yeah, thank you so much for sharing, for sharing your heart, for sharing your wisdom and your story with us today. Mm, Tanya, this is a gorgeous, gorgeous podcast. And I'm so um, delighted to be your guest. I'm so excited about your upcoming book and um, so excited for more and more women to realize that the waking that they're emerging through is going to take them to the top of some incredibly profound mountains. Thank Absolutely. you. Thanks, Lisa. That was the latest episode of When She Wakes, She Will Move Mountains with Tanya Valentin and Lisa Black. To see more of Lisa's offerings and to work with Lisa from wherever you are in the world, please check the links in the show notes or the transcription on my website, www.tanyavalentinauthor.com.